Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see you, and thanks for taking time to join us at Grace this weekend. Uh, hey, before I jump into our conversation, just one little uh, announcement thing, schedule thing. I want to be sure we have our head around, and it's for next weekend. So next weekend, uh, the 4th of July start uh, is on Saturday. So the 4th of July is actually on Saturday. And so uh, we looked at that, knew that there's a lot of family things, a lot of celebrations, especially Saturday evening, and so made the decision that we're not going to have services next Saturday evening on the 4th of July. But what that also means is that we will have services on Sunday, the 5th of July. And so our broadcasting will be normal on the 5th of July. Our in-person services will be on the normal Sunday schedule on the 5th of July and really encourage you to join us then. So uh, have fun on the 4th of July, enjoy your family, see some fireworks. And then on the 5th of July, uh, we'll gather together again and enjoy being in church together. I'm excited this weekend to be open up a new series and we're calling it Stops Along the Way. And, and we're going to kind of stay in this series uh, for most of the summer because what we're going to do is follow the disciples' journey, the original followers of Jesus. We're going to follow the journey that they took with Jesus. And so uh, what you'll see as we go through this is that Jesus calls his followers, his disciples, in particular the 12 that we talk about a lot, and he basically asked them or invited them to come discover him. He, he showed them different aspects about his heart, about his mind, about his father's heart. He taught them different things about what he calls the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And then as they went different places. They went to a wedding. They went to Jerusalem, these different traveling that they did. Jesus would kind of stop almost impromptu and teach them something profound about himself, about his father, about the kingdom of heaven. Now, we know that Jesus is God. And so we also know that these weren't just like on the whim things. This wasn't like, oh yeah, by the way, you should know. It, it wasn't that at all. Uh, what Jesus was doing was, was very intentional and very purposeful. And as he looked at his disciples and said, these are the things, if you guys can get your head around these miracles or these parables or this interaction, then you can discover or you can understand my heart and my mind and also your response to that. And so we're just going to take that journey with them and we're going to stop at the stops along the way and try to see what they saw and understand what they understand about Jesus and to get our heads around it as well, right? Now, to start this off, I, I wanna start by looking at Jesus' calling of his first four disciples. So the, the first kind of four guys of the 12 that really started to follow Jesus was Simon Peter, who we later on just really call Peter, his brother Andrew, and then brothers James and John. And they were some of the first to come follow him. And I want to show you this interaction with these guys. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter five. That's where we'll start. Luke chapter five. And Jesus is kind of out in the bow and he's standing by a lake, verse one, chapter five. And he interacts with these four guys in a really powerful and in a really personal 
way. Look at it. Verse one, one day Jesus was standing by the lake. Uh, the people were crowded around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats there left by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats that belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled for their partners and the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knee, at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Jesus, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything and followed him. And this scene is kind of a, a famous scene. It's one of the first ones that you're going you're gonna to see where Jesus's power, his divinity is really, really on display with this miraculous catch of fish. Now, I want to dig at this for a second because Jesus wasn't just simply kind of showing off. He wasn't like, hey, you guys want to see something? Your boats are full. That's, that's not what he was doing. Jesus was teaching James and John, Peter and Andrew, something about himself. And what were they, what were they supposed to observe and why did they respond the way that they did? So let's frame this up a little bit. Let, let's talk about the culture that they're, they're living in some, okay? So these guys are ancient Jewish men. At that time in Israel, in ancient Israel, Israel was under Roman occupation. So as ancient Jewish men under, lower occupa under Roman occupation, they would have been oppressed frustrated people that had limited rights. That would have been their reality. Uh, they, they would have always had to answer to the Roman government. Pretty much any Roman military official, or especially if they had a little bit of rank to them, basically had the power over life and death for most Jewish men and women, and most certainly the power of imprisonment. Uh, they were under an oppressive tax system. And so these guys were working really to pay their taxes in a lot of ways. And if you didn't pay your taxes, your boat, your business, your house, all of it could have been seized by the Roman government. And they would have been people that were raised in a culture and in a heritage, the Jewish culture, the Jewish heritage, in which they were taught that they were meant to be free people and independent people. So when that's your worldview and your upbringing, and then you live under oppression, the frustration, the anger, the injustice of it all would have kind of boiled in your blood a little bit. So these are young men in that system that are living there in ancient Israel. And that thinking would have affected their, their mind, just, 
Just like our political issues affect ours and our cultural issues affect us. Same kind of a thing, except maybe amplified even a little bit uh, because of the laws and the ways that the ancient world lives. The other thing that was true of these men is that they were fishermen. And don't just glance over that. That wasn't like a, you know, I couldn't find another job. I decided to fish kind of a, kind of a thing. In the ancient world, whatever you did for the most part as an occupation was, was an offspring of your family's business. So these men would have grown up fishing their father was probably a fisherman. Their grandfather was a, probably a fisherman. In fact, we know with James and John, sons of Zebedee, their dad was a fisherman, right? And so fish, being a fisherman wasn't just a job that you bounced in and out of. It was a job that you drew a lot of identity from. In our culture today, it would kind of be like someone who's a firefighter, or a police officer, or was in the military, right? Where you would look and oftentimes say, well, there's a family heritage and it means a lot to me. And my identity is not just, just on the surface with this, it runs deep. If you ever known a firefighter, like a lot of times you go into their home and it's, they'll have firefighter stuff decorating their home. They would find a real, real identity in that. Well, fishermen would have been the same way. So as fishermen, they would have looked and said, that's who I am. I'm a fisherman. That's my source of income. It's the place of my expertise. It's what makes sense to me. I understand. It's not an occupation. It's a trade. I understand this in very minute ways. I know this lake inside and out, and I know when what fish are in season, what and where and how and why. And I understand all of that. And in this politically tense situation, into this hyper-individualized situation, I am a oppressed person who is this. I am a fisherman. Jesus shows up. And Jesus shows up and he, he wants to make sense to them. He wants them to understand him. He wants to communicate his heart and his mind. And he wants them to know that they are invited and encouraged and empowered. And he wants them to come and follow him. And so he shows up in their life in a way that makes the most sense to them. He shows up and he does a miracle but not just any miracle, right? Because he did a bunch of miracles. So Jesus didn't show up at their fishing boat and change water into wine. He didn't do that. Uh, Jesus didn't show up at their fishing boat and heal somebody from leprosy. He didn't do that. He showed up at their fishing boats where the fishermen had been fishing. And he did a miracle that made sense to them that spoke deeply to their individual mind and their individual heart because he loves them individually. Now this tells us something about God. This tells us something about what Jesus is like because it told them something about what Jesus was like. And this stop along the way, when they watched all this happen, 
You, we just read their response. I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, no, come follow me. That's not what I want. I, I, I want you to, to know me and love me. I don't want you to be afraid of me. Because when he did that miracle, not a miracle, that miracle, that miracle made sense. They looked at that miracle and they instantly knew because they knew how hard it was to fish. They knew that they'd been doing it all night. They knew that it wasn't the right season. They knew how miraculous this miracle was, see. And when Jesus did that in a way that communicated to them, their response was, you are my Lord and I want to, I desire to, I have to follow you. Now, guys, I want us to get our head around this because I think God so works this way. There's all kinds of miraculous things that happen in our world, but they don't mean a lot to us, right? There's miraculous things that happen all the time. People are healed. Babies that were prayed for are born. Hunger is, stomachs are filled as hungry children cry out to God. Miraculous things happen all the time, but the thing God does for us is always going to be different. When, when, I, when I hear that something really, really neat, these kids were hungry and they were fed and they prayed to God and God provided for them, I will look at that and I'll think, well, that's, that's neat. That's really good. We need to take care of those kids. That, that th this, this person was sick and, and that God healed them. I think, well, that's, that's amazing. God healed that person. That's really good for them. That miracles happen around us. God communicates to us all the time. But when our boats become full of fish, there's a different level of response that we can offer to God. See, when God answers me, when God hears me, when God blesses me, when Jesus makes himself make sense to me, that's the real miracle. It's not that I got fish and you got wine and I don't have leprosy anymore. It's that the creator of the universe would reach into the details of our culture, our world, and our personal life and communicate his heart and mind so that I, as an individual, can understand that. So that I can know that God even exists and that God knows me and loves me and wants me to come and follow him. See? So as we take the steps along the way, we're looking for the places that God has filled our boat. We're looking for the places that God is speaking to me. And it may be something as miraculous as God provided for you in a way that you didn't know he could provide for you, and you're, it's a miracle. And it may be something as miraculous as, for some reason, you tuned in to hear a conversation about Jesus right now that you would have never normally tuned into, but it has your attention. Because God's filling your boat. He wants to make sense to you. Why are you dialed into this? Why are you having this conversation? You wouldn't normally do that. Well, why? Because God's filling your boat. See? He wants you to know him. He wants you to know he loves you. 
He wants you to know that he knows you. He wants you to know that he wants to be present in your world. It's the same thing he was teaching his first four disciples. He's trying to teach us today. Now, it's fascinating as the story moves on. So kind of chronologically, we would move from Luke chapter 5 over to Mark chapter 1. So if you actually go back in your Bibles to the left a little bit, in Mark chapter 1, James and Andrew and, uh, and John and Peter start to follow Jesus, and he fills their boats, and they fall on their knees before him and begin to follow him and believe that he is God. And the, the, the next thing that Jesus shows them or reveals to them about himself is a fascinating thing. Here's the danger that could have happened. These four guys could have looked at their boats being filled in this miraculous way, and they could have allowed their understanding of who Jesus is to stop right there. He's the miracle worker, right? And, and when I have a need, Jesus fills my need. When I have a want, Jesus fills my want. When I have a desire, Jesus gives me the desires of my heart. They could have allowed their understanding of Jesus to stop right there. They could have left their boats that day, gone into town, praising God, giving him credit, and telling everybody about the miraculous catch. They could have sold all those fish. They could have got the wealth that comes from that. And they could have spent the rest of their lives telling the story about their boats being filled by Jesus. And they could have done all of that. They could have done it with the right intention. They could have given the glory to the right person. And they could have given God praise for all the right reasons. And their understanding of Jesus would have been incomplete. See, they had to start to follow him, not remember him, follow him. And so it's fascinating to me where Jesus leads them next. When he's like, come on, guys, let's go. He takes them uh, on, a, on a journey and he reveals a different aspect of who he is. Mark chapter 1, look at verse 21. So they went to Capernaum, which is kind of down the road. Uh, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teacher of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit or possessed by a demon cried out, Why do you what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said to him sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and, be, and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to demons, to impure spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They get here to Capernaum, and he's teaching at the synagogue. The demon-possessed guy comes in, and people start to be blown away by Jesus. But I want you to think of the four disciples and what they're interacting with, okay? So their, their last big Jesus moment was the boat and the fish. Their next big Jesus moment is here. They hear Jesus teaching, 
in Mark 21, people are amazed at this because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. In other words, people are blown away because Jesus isn't observing the scriptures. He, he's not, you know, contemplating the scriptures. He's teaching as the author of the scriptures, one who has authority. And so the disciples are going to be downloading this, right? They're, they're going to be looking and saying, wait a minute. Uh, we like this guy. He's fun to be around. He's a miracle worker. I, I definitely get that, he, that something's going on. Is he a prophet? Is he one with power? Who is he? And now they're looking and saying, wait a minute. He's not teaching about God. He's teaching as if he is God. Now imagine doing that math a little bit, right? Because you're, you got, your head's got to be spinning because he is teaching as one who had authority as if he is God. And in the process of wrestling with that thought, the demon-possessed guy comes in just then. So they're just kind of doing the math on this. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus had not been there before, and now this guy knows him and where he's from. So what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You have come to destroy us. Ready? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Imagine being the four disciples and you're trying to process all this. I, I'm, I saw the boat thing happen. That was miraculous. Now we left the boat thing. Uh, I just told my wife I was going to go follow a new rabbi. I just told my dad that we're, we're not going to fish anymore. We're going to go do this. Your mind would have been spinning. Jesus is not teaching about God. He's teaching as if he is God. Your mind is going to be spinning. And just then, a demon-possessed person comes in, and the demon identifies Jesus by name and says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. What are you thinking as one of these four brand-new disciples the Bible goes on, says the people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is it? A, a new teaching and with authority, and he even gives order to impure spirits, and they obey him because Jesus cast the spirit out. So let's just think linearly about what the disciples are experiencing. I'm minding my own business one day, doing what I do. I'm out in the boat all night, which is not uncommon, we're talking about the same things that you and I would talk about. What did you think about the weather? What do you think about the new political figure? What do you think about that new tax law? What do you think about that road that they're putting in? All normal conversations with all of the passions and all of the ideas and all of the frustrations that would come with it, conversations that you and I have all the time. While doing what you do, you're not just punching a clock. This is your business, and this is what you do. Who are you? I'm a fisherman. You, you bomb out that night. And by the way, that's happened to you before. You bomb out that night. This guy comes in, 
does something that you know, because you know fishing, you know that he has filled your boats up in a supernatural and miraculous way. He has met you where you are and made sense to you. Now you follow him. You're listening to him teach. You're doing an internal math, not about God, but as God. A demon-possessed person comes in, which is just going to freak everybody out, speaks, the demons within him speak to Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, what are you doing here? We know who you are. Jesus, quiet, come out. Authority, come out. Sternly, the Bible says, stop it. Get out of him. You watch this man, tormented by demons, be set free at the word of the guy who just filled your boat. And just like everybody else is amazed, your mind is blown, and you have said, I'm following this guy. What have you, what else have you just learned? What other layer has come into play in your understanding about Jesus and who he is and who he's calling you to be? These new followers learned something critical about who they were following. They just learned that he's not their meal ticket, that he's not their good luck charm, that that is a shallow understanding of the guy who filled the boat. That him filling the boat was, was not remotely, it was barely the tip of the iceberg of who this guy is. They just learned that he has authority, that he is the Holy One of God, that he's not just another idea or philosophy or political opinion, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. And they committed their lives to follow him. Right? I want us to see something here, guys, because I, I want you to see some of the math that I think Jesus was trying to help them understand and get their, get their head around and the math that he wants us to understand and get our head around. I want you to think through with me for a minute about the sequence of events, the sequence of events, okay? Jesus does a miracle. He does a miracle when he filled their boats. And for a fisherman in the ancient world, that was a life changing miracle, life-changing. To come back with your boast, that, that was the ancient equivalent of hitting the lottery. Two fishing boats so full that they almost sank. So Jesus looks at Peter and John and Andrew and James and says, I'm going to give you guys the lottery. Here's your ticket. Bam, you nailed it. And they in those two boats had represented not only security, but financial wealth, financial freedom. Uh, they had reputation and legend. Who's the best fisherman in all of Galilee? We are, right? They had all of that. They had freedom from a political system. 
I can pay my taxes and go build myself a new house and the Romans can't do anything about it. The wealth that leads to power, that leads to freedom, that would have alleviated their political frustrations, their governmental frustrations, their personal stresses and frustrations, and caused them to hit the pinnacle of their career, which was their identity, was all in that boat. I want you to catch this. Ready? I find it fascinating that Jesus gave them the miracle before he gave them the calling. Did you catch that? You should write that down. Jesus gave them the miracle before he gave them the calling. He didn't bait them with blessings. He didn't look at them and say, listen, if you guys, I'll make a deal with you. If you guys follow me, then then I'll fill your boats with fish. I'll make you rich. I'll make you famous. And I'll, I'll make your hair grow back. Like if you guys follow me, I will give you these benefits, but you got to follow me. That's the deal. Do you want to make the deal? Jesus gave them the miracle. And then he, in essence, kind of from his heart to their heart, asked them a question. When they received the miracle, the miracle was theirs. The miracle was theirs. You can have all this. It's all yours. No strings attached. But here's the question, right? As the four disciples look at their boats being filled out, what they're wrestling with is this. What's more valuable? What's more valuable? The reception of the miracle or the understanding of the miracle worker? What's more valuable? That God does this in my life? Woo, got my new car. Is that more valuable? Or is it the heart and the mind of the God who just filled your boat? And the disciples made a really difficult decision. They decided that the miracle worker was the true treasure. And they chose the miracle worker over the miracle that he performed. I wrote it down this way. If we're not careful, we'll worship the miracle instead of the miracle worker. We'll look and say, God, I want this. I want this. I want you. God, you got to heal me. God, you got to change me. God, you got to give me money. God, you got to straighten my kids out. God, you got to give me a job. God, you got to let me make varsity. God, you got to let me get into this school. If we're not careful... We'll choose the miracle over the miracle worker. And one of the things that Jesus was giving to his disciples, he actually kind of introduced a conflict for them. He didn't bait them. He called them. And he looked at them and said, what what would you guys rather have? Because the fish is yours. It's all yours. Have it. Enjoy it. Take it. Sell it. It's 100%. No strings attached. If you don't want to follow me, I'll walk away and you can have your fish. But the disciples, when faced with that conflict, made a decision. Wait a minute. We're not going to worship the miracle. 
We're going to worship the miracle worker. The miracle worker is more valuable than this temporary, earthly, instantaneous thing that he did for us. Jesus was teaching them something. And he was teaching them kind of the the value of the kingdom. And the value of the kingdom is Christ himself. If I can know Christ, Paul says it this way. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to share in the sufferings. I want to know him. Not about him. I don't want to just benefit from him. But I want to know him and understand him. And so the, the disciples, the disciples become true Christ followers when they choose the Messiah over the miracle. Now let's think about this for a second. Think about sequence of events. He gives them the miracle. They're faced with the decision. They make the right decision. I'm going to choose to follow the miracle worker. I'm going to choose the miracle worker over the miracle. And Jesus says, great, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. So they walk away. Just think about this for a second. They walk away from their lottery jackpot. You think that was simple? I don't. I think that's really hard. When when God has just provided for you everything that you know, understand, and value, and you choose to leave your boats full of fish and go and follow him, Do you think as you walked away from your boats full of fish and you go home and you're Peter and you explain that to your wife and your mother-in-law, hey, we hit the jackpot, gotta go. Sons of Zebedee, dad, we finally nailed it. The business is paid off. The new boat is, is, is teed up. We gotta go. Do you think as a human being, Walking away from your jackpot is an easy thing. I don't. I think that'd be very, very difficult. And as I'm walking from my boats full of fish and I'm following Jesus to Capernaum, I'm going to be second-guessing that a little bit. We found the Messiah, right? Right. That was a lot of fish. We, we believe he's... he's Probably God, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, sure, 100%. That was a lot of fish. We're walking into the unknown. Yeah, the fish that would have totally secured the known would have organized and set up and protected our life as we knew it. That was a lot of fish. That was a lot of fish. And so sequentially, when Jesus then takes them to the synagogue, and he's teaching with authority, and they're hearing him teach as God, not just simply about God, and they're wrestling with his authority, is this the Messiah? Because that was a lot of fish. And then the demon-possessed man comes in, which was no accident. And the demon calls out Jesus by name, Jesus of Nazareth, which was no accident. And the demon 
reveals Jesus' true identity to everybody listening. And who would have been listening the most closely? Because that was a lot of fish. The Holy One of God. What was Jesus doing for his disciples? I believe that Jesus was affirming their faith. I believe that he was igniting the faith of everybody who was around because they were all amazed, they were all blown away. But for those four guys, because that was a lot of fish who chose to follow the miracle worker not just be engrossed by the miracle. To put on display his deity, to have his deity affirmed by the spirit world of all places, demons, and to see his power, his authority over it. And it wasn't just those four, it was everybody in that synagogue who watched it happen. And all of a sudden... I know that's a lot of fish, but that's a lot of authority. In fact, that's deity. In fact, he is the Holy One of God. And the Holy One of God loved us enough to make sense to us. He didn't change water into wine for us. He didn't heal us of leprosy, but we know fish. He made sense to us. And we made the right decision. We walked away from our miracle to follow and worship our miracle worker. And I believe that in part, Jesus was affirming, helping, leading them to overcome their doubts. Now, the Bible also says we're disciples. We're disciples. You know what Jesus says to you and me? He says to all of us, he says, you know what I want, guys? I want you to come follow me. And me is the key word. Come follow me. Not the subculture of Christianity. Not the possibility of my miracles because maybe I'll bail you out of something or I'm a last resort, but me. I will bless you. In fact, I have. I am with you right now. I'm in the middle of your life and presence and reality. I'm standing on the shores of your sea that you've been fishing on, whatever that is. I love you, and I want you to know that. And I want you to know that I love you, and I want you to know that I am the Holy One of God. Do you see it? Come, follow me. Because if you think a full boat is something, I've got so much more for you more than you could ever ask or imagine, and it probably won't look like a full boat. In fact, sometimes it'll look like the opposite of a full boat. But the prize is me, not the miracle, the Messiah. 
the one who can save you from your sins, the one who has overcome death, the, the one who is bigger than all of this mess that we all live in because our world is a fallen world. And I see you. There's a reason that you came to church this weekend. There's a reason that you dialed in online this weekend. In the middle of the summer, for, for no logical conclusion, somebody shared the, the conversation somewhere you heard or you were just scrolling Facebook or Instagram and here we are. Because God's at this, the shore of your sea and you're hearing about his love. He's filling your boat. But he's not looking and saying, praise me for a full boat. He's saying, come follow me. I'm, I'm, I haven't even begun to blow your mind yet. And if you'll, by faith, walk away from what is known and walk into the unknown, I will reveal even more of what the true treasure is. And the disciples learn this piece by piece. And that's God's plan for you and I too. We, we learn it piece by piece. Nobody just download. You don't read the Bible and understand it. You don't just download God. Piece by piece, stop by stop, miracle by miracle, teaching by teaching. And God wants to know you and walk with you and love you. And wants you to know him and walk with him and love him. And he'll do that, right, as we make stops along the way. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Would you help us with this? Lord, everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, some right now need you to be in their life in a real way. And this is the miracle they're wrestling with things they have never wrestled with before. They're curious about things they've never been curious about before. They're, they're desperate in ways they've never been desperate before. And here you are in their life. Lord, would you let them receive what you want to do in their life right now? And if you provide for them or minister to them or help them or heal them or simply just make sense, let them receive that as a full boat. And Jesus, like the disciples, not just a moment, not just a feeling, but a calling. And we worship you not as a miracle worker alone, but as our Lord, our Savior, the Holy One of God. And so, God, would you begin to draw us all the way to you? And with love and fear and an eagerness and an anxiety, everything that is faith, let us drop our nets and come follow you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in these ways. Help us to understand. In your name, amen.